Chapter Forty Six of the Queen's Necklace by Alexandre Dumas, translated by Henry L. Williams. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Jean, the Protectress. Monsieur le Cardinal de Rohan received two days after his visit to Monsieur Burmer the following note: His Eminence the Cardinal de Rohan knows doubtless where he will sup this evening. From the little countess, said he, I will go. Among the footmen given to her by the cardinal, Jean had distinguished one, black-haired and dark-eyed, and, as she thought, active and intelligent. She set this man to watch the cardinal, and learned from him that he had been twice to Monsieur Burmer's. Therefore she concluded the necklace was bought, and yet he had not communicated it to her. She frowned at the thought, and wrote the note which we have seen. Monsieur de Rohan sent before him a basket of toquet and other rarities, just as if he were going to sup with Laquimard or Mademoiselle d'Anville. Jeanne determined not to use any of it at supper. When they were alone, she said to him, "'Really, Monseigneur, one thing afflicts me.' "'What, Countess?' "'To see, not only that you no longer love me, but that you never have loved me.' oh countess how can you say so do not make excuses monseigneur it would be lost time oh countess do not be uneasy i am quite indifferent about it now whether i love you or not yes because i do not love you that is not flattering indeed we are not exchanging compliments but facts we have never loved each other oh as for myself i cannot allow that i have a great affection for you countess come monseigneur let us esteem each other enough to speak the truth and that is that there is between us a much stronger bond than love that is interest oh countess what a shame monseigneur if you are ashamed i am not well countess supposing ourselves interested how can we serve each other first monseigneur i wish to ask you a question why have you failed in confidence toward me i how so pray will you deny that after skilfully drawing from me the details which i confess i was not unwilling to give you concerning the desire of a certain great lady for a certain thing you have taken means to gratify that desire without telling me countess you are a real enigma a sphinx oh no enigma cardinal i speak of the queen and of the diamonds which you bought yesterday of messieurs Burmer and Bossange. Countess! cried he, growing pale. Oh, do not look so frightened, continued she. Did you not conclude your bargain yesterday? He did not speak, but looked uncomfortable and half angry. She took his hand. Pardon, prince, she said, but I wish to show you your mistake about me you believe me foolish and spiteful oh 
countess now i understand you perfectly i expected to find you a pretty woman and a clever one but you are better than this listen to me you have you say been willing to become my friend without loving me i repeat it replied she then you had some object assuredly do you wish me to tell it to you no i understand it you wish to make my fortune that once done you are sure that my first care would be for yours am i right yes monseigneur but i have not pursued my plans with any repugnance the road has been a pleasant one you are an amiable woman countess and it is a pleasure to discuss business with you you have guessed rightly that i have a respectful attachment towards a certain person i saw it at the opera ball she said i know well that this affection will never be returned oh a queen is only a woman and you are surely equal to cardinal mazarin he was a very handsome man said monsieur de rohan laughing and an excellent minister said jeanne countess it is superfluous trouble to talk to you you guess and know everything yes i do wish to become prime minister everything entitles me to it my birth my knowledge of business my standing with foreign courts and the affection which is felt for me by the french people there is but one obstacle said jeanne an antipathy yes of the queen's and the king always ends by liking what she likes and hating what she hates and she hates me be frank countess well monseigneur she does not love you then i am lost of what use is the necklace you deceive yourself prince it is bought at least it will show the queen that you love her you know monseigneur we have agreed to call things by their right names then you say you do not despair of seeing me one day prime minister i am sure of it and what are your own ambitions i will tell you prince when you are in a position to satisfy them we will hope for that day now let us sup i am not hungry then let us talk i have nothing more to say then go how is that what you call our alliance D do you send me away yes monseigneur well countess i will not deceive myself again about you before leaving however he turned and said what must i do now countess nothing wait for me to act i will go to versailles when tomorrow and when shall i hear from you immediately 
then i abandon myself to your protection au revoir countess end of chapter forty six recording by john vanstan savannah georgia look bumble knows you're exhausted by dating all the must not take yourself too seriously and six one since that matters and what do i even say other than hey <sighs> well that's why they're introducing an all-new bumble with exciting features to make compatibility easier starting the chat better and dating safer they've changed so you don't have to download the new bumble now chapter 47 of the queen's necklace by alexandre dumas translated by henry l williams this LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Jean protected. Mistress of such a secret, rich in such a future, and supported by such a friend, Jean felt herself strong against the world. To appear at court no longer as a suppliant, as the poor mendicant drawn from poverty by Madame de Boulanvilliers, but as a Valois, with an income of one hundred thousand francs, to be called the favorite of the queen, and consequently governing the king and state through her. Such was the panorama that floated before the eyes of Jeanne. She went to Versailles. She had no audience promised, but she trusted to her good fortune, and as the queen had received her so well before, all the officials were anxious to serve her. Therefore, one of the doorkeepers said aloud as the queen came from the chapel to one of her gentlemen, "'Monsieur, what am I to do?' Here is Madame la Comtesse de la Motte Valois asking admission, and she has no letter of audience. The queen heard and turned round. Did you say Madame de la Motte Valois was here? She asked. Your Majesty, the doorkeeper, says so. I will receive her. Bring her to the bathroom. The man told Jeanne what he had done. She drew out her purse, but he said— will madame la comtesse allow this debt to accumulate some day she can pay me with interest you are right my friend i thank you marie antoinette looked serious when jean entered she suppose i am come again to beg thought jean madame said the queen i have not yet had an opportunity to speak to the king oh your majesty has already done too much for me i ask nothing more i came she hesitated is it something urgent that you did not wait to ask for an audience urgent yes madame but not for myself for me then and the queen conducted her into the bathroom where her women were waiting for her once in the bath she sent them away now countess madame said jean i am much embarrassed why so your majesty knows the kindness i have received from monsieur de rohan the queen frowned well madame yesterday his eminence came to see me and spoke to me as usual of your majesty's goodness and kindness what does he want I expressed to him all my sense of your generosity, which constantly empties your purse, and told him that I felt almost guilty in thinking of your majesty's gift to myself, and remembering 
that were it not for such liberality your majesty need not have been forced to deny yourself the beautiful necklace which became you so well when i related this circumstance to m de rohan i saw him grow pale and the tears came into his eyes indeed madame his fine face full of admiration for and emotion caused by your noble conduct is ever before my eyes well countess if he has impressed you so deeply i advise you not to let him see it monsieur de rohan is a worldly prelate and gathers the sheep as much for himself as for his lord oh madame it is not i who say it that is his reputation he almost glories in it his trophies are numerous and some of them have made no little scandal well madame i am sure he thought then of no one but your majesty the queen laughed your majesty's modesty will not allow you to listen to praises not from the cardinal i suspect them all it is not my part replied jeanne respectfully to defend any one who has encouraged your majesty's displeasure monsieur de rohan has offended me but i am a queen and a christian and do not wish to dwell on offences jeanne was silent you think differently to me on this subject completely your majesty you would not speak so if you knew what he has done against me but as you have so great a friendship for him i will not attack him again before you you have not then forgotten the diamonds oh madame i have thought of them night and day they will look so well on your majesty what do you mean they are sold to the portuguese ambassador jeanne shook her head not sold cried the queen yes madame but to monsieur de rohan oh, said the queen becoming suddenly cold again oh your majesty cried jeanne do not be ungenerous towards him it was the impulse of a generous heart that your majesty should understand and sympathize with when he heard my account he cried what the queen refuse herself such a thing and perhaps see it one day worn by one of her subjects and when i told him that it was bought for the queen of portugal he was more indignant than ever he cried it is no longer a simple question of pleasure for the queen but of the dignity of the french crown i know the spirit of foreign courts they will laugh at our queen because they happen to have more money to spare and i will never suffer this and he left me abruptly an hour after i heard that he had bought the necklace for one million five hundred thousand franc one million six hundred thousand madame with what intention that at least if your majesty would not have them no one else should are you sure it is not for some mistress i am sure he would rather break it to pieces than see it on any other neck than your own marie antoinette reflected and her expressive countenance showed clearly every thought that passed through her mind at last she said 
what monsieur de rohan has done is a noble trait of a delicate devotion and you will thank him for me oh yes madame you will add that he has proved to me his friendship and that i accept it but not his gift but madame no but as a loan he has advanced his money and his credit to please me and i will repay him burma has asked for money down yes madame how much one hundred thousand francs that is my quarter's allowance from the king i received it this morning it is in advance but still i have it she rang the bell her woman came and wrapped her in warm sheets and then she dressed herself once more alone in her bedroom with jeanne she said open that drawer and you will see a portfolio here it is madame it holds the one hundred thousand franc count them jeanne obeyed take them to the cardinal with my thanks each quarter i will pay the same in this manner i shall have the necklace which pleased me so much and if it embarrasses me to pay it at least it will not hurt the king and i shall have gained the knowledge that i have a friend who has guessed my wishes then after a pause you will add countess that monsieur de rohan will be welcome at versailles to receive my thanks jeanne went away full of joy and delight end of chapter forty seven recording by john van stan savannah georgia chapter forty eight of the queen's necklace by alexander dumas translated by henry l williams this librivox recording is in the public domain the queen's portfolio the cardinal was at home when madame de lamotte came to his hotel she had herself announced and was immediately admitted you come from versailles said he yes well well monseigneur what do you expect ah countess you say that with an air that frightens me you wished me to see the queen and i have seen her and that i should speak to her of you whom she has always so much disliked and you did yes and her majesty listened say no more countess i see she will not overcome her repugnance oh as to that i spoke of the necklace and did you dare to say that i wished to buy it for her yes oh countess you are sublime and she listened yes but she refused oh i am lost refused to accept it as a gift but not as a loan i lend to the queen countess it is impossible it is more than giving is it not a thousand times so i thought the cardinal rose and came toward her do not deceive me he said one does not play with the affections of a man like you monseigneur then 
it is true the exact truth i have a secret with the queen and he pressed jeanne's hand i like that clasp of the hand she said it is like one man to another it is that of a happy man to a protecting angel monseigneur do not exaggerate oh my joy my gratitude impossible but lending a million and a half to the queen is not all you wish for buckingham would have asked for more buckingham believed what i dare not even dream of the queen sends you word that she will see you with pleasure at versailles the cardinal looked as pale as a youth who gives his first kiss of love ah thought she it is still more serious than i imagined i can get what i please from him for he acts really not from ambition but from love he quickly recovered himself however my friend said he how does the queen mean to act about this loan she talks of ah you think she has no money but she will pay you as she would have paid Burmer. only if she had paid him all paris must have known it which she would not have liked after the credit she has had for her refusal of it you are a cashier for her and a solvent one if she becomes embarrassed she is happy and she pays asks no more she pays yes she knows you have debts and when i told her you had advanced a hundred thousand francs you told her yes why not jeanne put her hand in her pocket and drew out the portfolio the queen sends you this with thanks it is all right for i have counted it who cares for that but the portfolio well it is not handsome it pleases me nevertheless you have good taste ha you quiz me you have the same taste as the queen at all events then it was hers do you wish for it i cannot deprive you of it take it oh countess you are a precious friend but while you have worked for me i have not forgotten you jeanne looked surprised yes said he my banker came to propose to me some plan of a marsh to drain which must be profitable i took two hundred shares and fifty of them are for you oh monseigneur he soon returned he had realized already on them cent per cent he gave me one hundred thousand francs and here is your share dear countess and from the pocket-book she had just given him he slid twenty-five thousand francs into her hand thanks monseigneur what gratifies me most is that you thought of me i shall ever do so said he kissing her hand and i of you at versailles end of chapter forty eight recording by john van stan savannah georgia
Chapter Forty Nine of the Queen's Necklace by Alexandre Dumas, translated by Henry L. Williams. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. In which we find Doctor Louis. Perhaps our readers, remembering in what a position we left Monsieur de Charny, will not dislike to return with us to that little antechamber at Versailles into which this brave seaman, who feared neither men nor elements, had fled, lest he should show his weakness to the Queen. Once arrived there, he felt it impossible to go further. He stretched out his arms and was only saved from falling to the ground by the aid of those around. He then fainted and was totally ignorant that the queen had seen him and would have run to his assistance had Andrea not prevented her, more even from a feeling of jealousy than from regard for appearances. Immediately after the king entered, and seeing a man lying supported by two guards who, unaccustomed to see men faint, scarcely knew what to do advanced saying someone is ill here at his voice the men started and let their burden fall oh cried the king it is monsieur de charny place him on this couch gentlemen then they brought him restoratives and sent for a doctor the king waited to hear the result the doctor's first care was to open the waistcoat and shirt of the young man to give him air and then he saw the wound. "'A wound?' cried the king. "'Yes,' said Monsieur de Charny faintly. "'An old wound which has reopened.' And he pressed the hand of the doctor to make him understand. But this was not a court doctor who understands everything, so willing to show his knowledge. "'Old sir, this wound is not twenty-four hours old.' Charny raised himself at this and said, do you teach me sir when i received my wound then turning round he cried the king and hastened to button his waistcoat yes monsieur de charny who fortunately arrived in time to procure you assistance a mere scratch sire stammered charny an old wound old or new replied louis it has shown me the blood of a brave man whom a couple of hours in bed will quite restore continued charny trying to rise but his strength failed him his head swam and he sank back again he is very ill said the king yes sire said the doctor with importance but i can cure him the king understood well that monsieur de charny wished to hide some secret from him and determined to respect it i do not wish said he that monsieur de charny should run the risk of being moved we will take care of him here let monsieur de souffrin be called this gentleman recompensed and my own physician dr louis be sent for while one officer went to execute these orders two others carried charny into a room at the end of the gallery dr louis and monsieur de souffrin soon arrived the latter understood nothing of his nephew's illness it is strange said he do you know doctor i never knew my nephew ill before that proves nothing replied the doctor the air of versailles must be bad for him it is his wound said one of the officers his wound cried monsieur de souffren he never was wounded in his life oh excuse me said the officer opening the shirt covered with blood but i thought well 
said the doctor, who began to see the state of the case. Do not let us lose time disputing over the cause, but see what can be done to cure him. Is it dangerous, doctor? asked Monsieur de Souffren with anxiety. Not at all, replied he. Monsieur de Souffren took his leave and left Charny with the doctor. Fever commenced, and before long he was delirious. Three hours after the doctor called a servant and told him to take Charny in his arms, who uttered doleful cries. "'Roll the sheet over his head,' said the doctor. "'But,' said the man, "'he struggles so much that I must ask assistance from one of the guards.' "'Are you afraid of a sick man, sir? If he is too heavy for you, you are not strong enough for me. I must send you back to Auvergne.' This threat had its effect. Charny, crying, fighting, and gesticulating, was carried by the man through the guards. Some of the officers questioned the doctor. "'Oh, gentlemen,' said he, "'this gallery is too far off for me. I must have him in my own rooms.' "'But, I assure you, doctor, we would all have looked after him here. We all love Monsieur de Souffren.' "'Oh, yes, I know your sort of care.' The sick man is thirsty, and you give him something to drink, and kill him. Now there remains but one danger, said the doctor to himself as he followed Charny, that the king should want to visit him, and if he hear him, diable, I must speak to the queen. The good doctor, therefore, having bathed the head and face of his patient with cold water, and seen him safe in bed, went out and locked the door on him, leaving his servant to look after him. He went toward the queen's apartments and met Madame de Misery, who had just been dispatched to ask after the patient. "'Come with me,' he said. "'But, doctor, the queen waits for intelligence.' "'I am going to her.' "'The queen wishes.' "'The queen shall know all she wishes. I will take care of that.' End of chapter 49 Recording by John Van Stan, Savannah, Georgia Chapter Fifty of the Queen's Necklace by Alexandre Dumas, translated by Henry L. Williams. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Agrisomnia. The Queen was expecting the return of Madame de Misery. The doctor entered with his accustomed familiarity. Madame, he said, the patient in whom your Majesty and the King are interested is as well as any one can be who has a fever. Is it a slight wound? asked the queen. Slight or not, he is in a fever. Poor fellow! A bad fever? Terrible! You frighten me, dear doctor, you who are generally so cheering. Besides, you look about you as though you had a secret to tell. So I have. About the fever? Yes. To tell me? Yes. Speak, then, for I am curious. I wait for you to question me, madame. Well, how does the fever go on? No. Ask me why I have taken him away from the guards' gallery, where the king left him, to my own room. Well, I ask. Indeed, it is strange. Then, madame... I did so because it is not an ordinary fever. 
the queen looked surprised what do you mean monsieur de charny is delirious already and in his delirium he says a number of things rather delicate for the gentlemen of the guard to hear doctor oh madame you should not question me if you do not wish to hear my answers well then dear doctor is he an atheist does he blaspheme oh no he is on the contrary a devotee the queen assumed a look of sang-froid monsieur de charny she said interests me he is the nephew of monsieur de souffren and has besides rendered me personal services i wish to be a friend to him tell me therefore the exact truth but i cannot tell you madame if your majesty wishes to know the only way is to hear him yourself but if he says such strange things things which your majesty ought to hear but said the queen i cannot move a step here without some charitable spy watching me i will answer for your security come through my private way and i will lock the door after us i trust to you then dear doctor and she followed him burning with curiosity when they reached the second door the doctor put his ear to the keyhole is your patient in there doctor no madame or you would have heard him at the end of the corridor even here you can hear his voice he groans no he speaks loud and distinct but i cannot go into him i do not mean you to do so i only wish you to listen in the adjoining room where you will hear without being seen they went on and the doctor entered the sick room alone charny still dressed in his uniform was making fruitless efforts to rise and was repeating to himself his interview with the german lady in the coach german he cried german queen of france do you hear madame it is frightful continued charny to love an angel a woman to love her madly to be willing to give your life for her and when you come near her to find her only a queen of velvet and of gold of metal and of silk and no heart uh-oh cried the doctor again i love a married woman charny went on and with that wild love which makes me forget everything else well i will say to her there remains for us still some happy days on this earth come my beloved and we will live the life of the blessed if we love each other afterwards there will be death better than a life like this let us love at least not badly reasoned for a man in a fever said the doctor but her children cried charny suddenly with fury she will not leave her children oh we will carry them away also surely i can carry her she is so light and her children too then he gave a terrible cry but they are the children of the king the doctor left his patient and approached the queen you are right doctor said she 
this young man would incur a terrible danger if he were overheard listen again said the doctor oh no more but just then charny said in a gentler voice marie i feel that you love me but i will say nothing about it marie i felt the touch of your foot in the coach your hand touched mine but i will never tell i will keep this secret with my life my blood may all flow away marie but my secret shall not escape with it my enemy steeped his sword in my blood but if he has guessed my secret yours is safe fear nothing marie i do not even ask you if you love me you blushed that is enough oh thought the doctor this sounds less like delirium than like memory i've heard enough cried the queen rising and trembling violently and she tried to go the doctor stopped her madame said he what do you wish nothing doctor nothing but if the king asked to see my patient oh that would be dreadful what shall i say doctor i cannot think this dreadful spectacle has confused me i think you have caught his fever said the doctor feeling her pulse she drew away her hand and escaped End of chapter 50. Recording by John Van Stan, Savannah, Georgia. Chapter 51 of The Queen's Necklace by Alexandre Dumas, translated by Henry L. Williams. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Andrea. The doctor remained thoughtful, then said to himself, there are other difficulties here besides those i can contend with by science he bathed again the temples of his patient who for the time began to grow calmer all at once the doctor heard the rustling of a dress outside can it be the queen returned thought he and opening the door softly he saw before him the motionless figure of a woman looking like a statue of despair it was almost dark he advanced suddenly along the corridor to the place where the figure was standing on seeing him she uttered a cry who is there asked dr louis i doctor replied a sweet and sorrowful voice a voice that he knew but could not immediately recognize i andrea de tavernay continued she oh, mon Dieu what is the matter cried the doctor is she ill she who the doctor felt that he had committed an imprudence excuse me but i saw a lady going away just now perhaps it was you oh yes there has been a lady here before me has there not asked andrea in a tone of emotion my dear child replied the doctor of whom do you speak what do you want to know doctor answered andrea in a sorrowful voice you always speak the truth do not deceive me now 
i am sure there was a woman here before me doubtless why should i deceive you madame de misery was here it was madame de misery who came certainly what makes you doubt what inexplicable beings women are dear doctor well but to the point is she worse who pardieu the queen the queen yes the queen for whom madame de misery came to fetch me and who is troubled with her palpitations if you come from her tell me and we will go back together no doctor i do not come from the queen and was even ignorant that she was suffering but pardon me doctor i scarcely know what i am saying in fact she seemed on the point of fainting the doctor supported her she rallied by a strong effort doctor she said you know i am nervous in the dark i lost my way in these intricate passages and have grown frightened and foolish and why the devil should you be wandering about these dark passages since you came for nothing i did not say i came for nothing only that no one sent me well if you have anything to say to me come away from here for i am tired of standing oh i shall not be ten minutes can any one hear us no one not even your patient in there oh no fear of his hearing anything andrea clasped her hands oh mon dieu she cried he is then very ill indeed he is not well but tell me quickly what brings you here for i cannot wait well doctor we have spoken of it i came to ask after him dr louis received this confession with a solemn silence which andrea took for a reproach you may excuse this step doctor she said as he was wounded in a duel with my brother your brother i was ignorant of that but now that you know it you understand why i inquire after him oh certainly my child said the good doctor enchanted to find an excuse for being indulgent i could not know this a duel between two gentlemen is a thing of everyday occurrence doctor certainly the only thing that could make it of importance would be that they have fought about a lady about a lady about yourself for example andrea sighed oh doctor they did not fight about me then said the doctor is it your brother that has sent you for news of monsieur de charny oh yes my brother doctor dr louis looked at her scrutinizingly i will find out the truth thought he then he said well i will tell you the truth that your brother may make his arrangements accordingly you understand no doctor why a duel is never a very agreeable thing to the king 
and if it makes a scandal he often banishes or imprisons the actors but when death ensues he is always inflexible therefore counsel your brother to hide for a time then cried andrea monsieur de charny is dangerously ill my dear young lady if he is not out of danger by this time to-morrow if before that time i cannot quell the fever that devours him monsieur de charny is a dead man andrea bit her lips till the blood came and clenched her hands till the nails stuck into the flesh to stifle the cry that was ready to burst from her having conquered herself she said my brother will not fly he wounded monsieur de charny in a fair fight and if he has killed him he will take his chance the doctor was deceived she did not come on her own account he thought how does the queen take it he asked the queen i know not what is it to her but she likes your brother well he is safe and perhaps she will defend him if he is accused then mademoiselle you have learned what you wished let your brother fly or not as he pleases that is your affair mine is to do the best to-night for the wounded man without which death will infallibly carry him off adieu andrea fled back to her room locked herself in and falling on her knees by the side of her bed my god cried she with a torrent of burning tears you will not leave this young man to die who has done no wrong and who is so loved in this world oh save him that i may see a god of mercy and not of vengeance her strength gave way and she fell senseless on the floor when her senses returned to her her first muttered words were i love him oh i love him end of chapter fifty one recording by john van stan savannah georgia Chapter Fifty Two of the Queen's Necklace by Alexander Dumas, translated by Henry L. Williams. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Delirium. Monsieur de Charny conquered the fever. The next day the report was favorable. Once out of danger, Doctor Louis ceased to take so much interest in him, and after the lapse of a week, as he had not forgotten all that had passed in his delirium, he wished to have him removed from Versailles, but Charny at the first hint of this, rebelled, and said angrily that his majesty had given him shelter there, and that no one had a right to disturb him. The doctor, who was not patient with intractable convalescence, ordered four men to come in and move him, but Charny caught hold of his bed with one hand, and struck furiously with the other at everyone who approached, and with the effort the wound reopened, the fever returned, and he began to cry out, that the doctor wished to deprive him of the visions that he had in his sleep, but that it was all in vain, for that she who sent them to him was of too high rank to mind the doctor. Then the doctor, frightened, sent the men away and dressed the wound again, but as the delirium returned stronger than ever, he determined to go once more to the queen. Marie Antoinette received him with a smile. 
She expected to hear that the patient was cured, but on hearing that he was very ill, she cried, "'Why, yesterday you said he was going on so well.' "'It was not true, madame.' "'And why did you deceive me? Is there, then, danger?' "'Yes, madame, to himself and others, but the evil is moral, not physical.' The wound in itself is nothing but madame. Monsieur de Charny is fast becoming a monomaniac. And this I cannot cure. Madame, you will have ruined this young man. I, doctor, am I the cause if he is mad? If you are not now, you soon will be. What must I do, then? Command me, doctor. This young man must be cured either with kindness or coercion. The woman whose name he evokes every instant must kill or cure him. Doctor, you exaggerate. Can you kill a man with a hard word or cure a madman with a smile? If your majesty be incredulous, I have only to pay my respects and take leave. No, doctor, tell me what you wish. Madame, if you desire to free this palace from his cries and from scandal, you must act. You wish me to come and see him? Yes. Then I will call someone, Mademoiselle de Tavernay, for example, and you have all ready to receive us. But it is a dreadful responsibility to run the risk of kill or cure, as you say. It is what I have to do every day. Come, madame, all is ready. The queen sighed and followed the doctor without waiting for Andrea, who was not to be found. It was eleven o'clock in the morning, and Charny was asleep after the troubled night he had gone through. The queen, attired in an elegant morning dress, entered the corridor. The doctor advised her to present herself suddenly, determined to produce a crisis, either for good or ill, but at the door they found a woman standing who had not time to assume her usual unmoved tranquillity, but showed an agitated countenance and trembled before them. "'Andrea?' cried the queen. "'Yes, your majesty, you are here too. I sent for you, but they could not find you.' Andrea, anxious to hide her feelings, even at the price of a falsehood, said— I heard your majesty had asked for me, and came after you. How did you know I was here? They said you were gone with Dr. Louis, so I guessed it. Well guessed, replied the queen, who was a little suspicious, and forgot immediately her first surprise. She went on leaving Andrea with the doctor. Andrea, seeing her disappear, gave a full look of anger and grief. The doctor said to her, do you think she will succeed succeed in what in getting this poor fellow removed who will die here will he live elsewhere asked andrea surprised i believe so oh then may she succeed end of chapter fifty two recording by john van stan savannah georgia
Chapter Fifty Three of the Queen's Necklace by Alexandre Dumas, translated by Henry L. Williams. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Convalescence. The Queen walked straight up to where Charny lay dressed on a couch. He raised his head, wakened by her entrance. The Queen, cried he, trying to rise. Yes, sir, the Queen, she replied. Who knows how you strive to lose both reason and life? The queen, whom you offend, both dreaming and waking? The queen, who cares for your honor and your safety, and therefore comes to you? Is it possible, continued she, that a gentleman, formerly renowned like you for his loyalty and honor, should become such an enemy as you have been to the reputation of a woman? what will my enemies do if you set them the example of treason treason stammered charny yes sir either you are a madman and must be forcibly prevented from doing harm or you are a traitor and must be punished oh madame do not call me a traitor from the mouth of a king such an accusation would precede death from the mouth of a woman it is dishonor queen kill me or spare me are you in your right mind monsieur de charny said the queen in a moved voice yes madame do you remember your wrongs towards me and toward the king Mon Dieu he murmured for you to easily forget you gentlemen that the king is the husband of the woman whom you insult by raising your eyes to her that he is the father of your future master the dauphin you forget also that he is a greater and better man than any of you a man whom i esteem and love oh murmured charny with a groan and seemed ready to faint this cry pierced the queen's heart. She thought he was about to die and was going to call for assistance. But after an instant's reflection she went on. Let us converse quietly and be a man. Dr. Louis has vainly tried to cure you. Your wound, which was nothing, has been rendered dangerous through your own extravagances. When will you cease to present to the good doctor the spectacle of a scandalous folly which disquiets him? When will you leave the castle? Madame, replied Charny, your majesty sends me away. I go, I go. And he rose with a violent effort, as though he would have fled that instant, but unable to stand, fell almost into the arms of the queen who had risen to stop him. She replaced him on the sofa, a bloody foam rose to his lips. "'Ah! So much the better!' cried he. "'I die. Killed by you!' The queen forgot everything but his danger. She supported his drooping head on her shoulders and pressed her cold hands to his forehead and heart. Her touch seemed to revive him as if by magic. He lived again. Then she wished to fly, but he caught hold of her dress, saying, "'Madame!' in the name of the respect which i feel for you adieu adieu cried the queen oh madame pardon me i do pardon you 
madame one last look monsieur de charny said the queen trembling if you are not the basest of men to-morrow you will be dead or have left this castle he threw himself at her feet she opened the door and rushed away andrea saw for an instant the young man on his knees before her and felt struck with both hate and despair she thought as she saw the queen return that god had given too much to this woman in adding to her throne and her beauty this half-hour with monsieur de charny the doctor occupied only with the success of the negotiation said well madame what will he do he will leave replied the queen and passing them quickly she returned to her apartment the doctor went to his patient and andrea to her room dr louis found charny a changed man declaring himself perfectly strong asking the doctor how he should be moved and when he should be quite well with so much energy that the doctor feared it was too much and then he must relapse after it he was however so reasonable as to feel the necessity of explaining this sudden change the queen has done me more good by making me ashamed of myself he said than you dear doctor with all your science she has vanquished me by an appeal to my amour propre so much the better said the doctor yes i remember that a spaniard they are all boasters told me one day to prove the force of his will that it sufficed for him in a duel which he had fought and in which he had been wounded to will that the blood should not flow in the presence of his adversary in order to retain it i laughed at him however i now feel something like it myself i think that if my fever and delirium wished to return i could chase them away saying fever and delirium i forbid you to appear we know such things are possible replied the doctor allow me to congratulate you for you are cured morally oh yes well the physical cure will soon follow once sound in mind you will be sound in body within a week thanks doctor and to begin you must leave this place i am ready immediately oh we will not be rash we will wait till this evening where will you go anywhere to the end of the world if you like that is too far for a first journey we will content ourselves with versailles i have a house there where you shall go to-night accordingly that evening the four valets who had been so rudely repulsed before carried him to his carriage the king had been hunting all day charny felt somewhat uneasy at leaving without apprising him but the doctor promised to make his excuses andrea concealed behind her curtains saw the carriage drive off if he resumes his desire to die thought the doctor at least it will not be in my rooms and under my care charny arrived safely however and the next day the doctor found him so well that he told him he thought he would require him no longer he received a visit from his uncle and from an officer sent by the king to inquire after him 
At the end of a week he could ride slowly on horseback. Then the doctor advised him to go for a time to his estates in Picardy to regain strength. He accordingly took leave of the king, charged Monsieur de Souffren with his adieu to the queen, who was ill that evening, and sent off for his chateau at Borsan. End of chapter 53 Recording by John Van Stan, Savannah, Georgia When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Chapter 54 of The Queen's Necklace by Alexandre Dumas, translated by Henry L. Williams. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Two Bleeding Hearts On the day following the Queen's visit to Monsieur de Charny, Mademoiselle de Tavernay entered the royal bedroom, as usual, at the hour of the petite toilette. The Queen was just laughing over a note from Madame de Lamotte. Andrea, paler than usual, looked cold and grave. The queen, however, being occupied, did not notice it, but merely turning her head said in her usual friendly tone, "'Bonjour, petit.' At last, however, Andrea's silence struck her, and looking up she saw her sad expression and said, "'Mon Dieu, Andrea, what is the matter? Has any misfortune happened to you?' "'Yes, madame, a great one.' "'What is it?' I am going to leave your majesty. Leave me? Yes, madame. Where are you going, and what is the cause of this sudden departure? Madame, I am not happy in my affections, in my family affections, I mean, added Andrea, blushing. I do not understand you. You seemed happy yesterday. "'No, madame,' replied Andrea firmly. "'Yesterday was one of the unhappy days of my life. "'Explain yourself.' "'It would but fatigue your majesty, "'and the details are not worthy of your hearing. "'Suffice it to say that I have no satisfaction in my family, "'that I have no good to expect in this world. "'I come, therefore, to beg your majesty's permission "'to retire into a convent.' The queen rose, and, although with some effort to her pride, took Andrea's hand and said, "'What is the meaning of this foolish resolution? Have you not today, like yesterday, a father and a brother? And were they different yesterday from today? Tell me your difficulties. Am I no longer your protectress and mother?' Andrea, trembling and bowing low, said, "'Madame,' Your kindness penetrates my heart, but does not shake my resolution. I have resolved to quit the court. I have need of solitude. Do not force me to give up the vocation to which I feel called. Since yesterday. I beg your majesty not to make me speak on this point. Be free, then, said the queen rather bitterly. Only 
I have always shown you sufficient confidence for you to have placed some in me. But it is useless to question one who will not speak. Keep your secrets, and I trust you will be happier away than you have been here. Remember one thing, however, that my friendship does not expire with people's caprices, and that I shall ever look on you as a friend. Now, go, Andrea. You are at liberty. But where are you going to? To the convent of St. Denis, madame. Well, mademoiselle, I consider you guilty toward me of ingratitude and forgetfulness. Andrea, however, left the room and the castle without giving any of those explanations which the good heart of the queen expected, and without in any way softening or humbling herself. When she arrived at home, she found Philippe in the garden. The brother dreamed while the sister acted. At the sight of Andrea, whose duties always kept her with the queen at that hour, he advanced surprised and almost frightened, which was increased when he perceived her gloomy look. He questioned her, and she told him that she was about to leave the service of the queen and go into a convent. He clasped his hands and cried, "'What, you also, sister?' "'I also? What do you mean?' "'Tis a cursed contact for us. That of the Bourbons. You wish to take religious vows. You, at once the least worldly of women, and the least fitted for a life of asceticism. What have you to reproach the queen with?' "'I have nothing to reproach her with. But you, Philippe, who expected and had the right to expect so much? Why did not you remain at court? You did not remain there three days. I have been there as many years. She is capricious, Andrea. You, as a man, might put up with it. I, a woman, could not, and do not wish to do so. All this, my sister, does not inform me what quarrel you have had with her. "'None, Philip. I assure you. Had you any when you left her? Oh, she is ungrateful.' "'We must pardon her, Andrea. She is a little spoiled by flattery, but she has a good heart.' "'Witness what she has done for you, Philippe.' "'What has she done?' "'You have already forgotten. I have a better memory. And with one stroke pay off your debts and my own.' very dear it seems to me andrea to renounce the world at your age and with your beauty take care dear sister if you renounce it young you will regret it old and will return to it when the time will be past and you have outlived all your friends you do not reason thus for yourself brother you are so little careful of your fortunes that when a hundred others would have acquired titles in gold you have only said she is capricious she is perfidious and a coquette and i prefer not to serve her therefore you have renounced the world though you have not entered into a monastery you are right sister and were it not for our father our father philippe do not speak of him replied andrea bitterly a father should be a support to his children or accept their support. But what does ours do? Could you confide a secret to Monsieur de Tavernay, or 
do you believe him capable of confiding in you monsieur de tavernay is made to live alone in this world true andrea but not to die alone huh, philippe you take me for a daughter without feeling but you know i am a fond sister and to have been a good daughter required only to have had a father but everything seems to conspire to destroy in me every tender feeling it never happens in this world that hearts respond those whom we choose prefer others philippe looked at her with astonishment what do you mean said he nothing replied andrea shrinking from a confidence i think my brain is wandering do not attend to my words but andrea took his hand enough on this subject my dearest brother i am come to beg you to conduct me to the convent of st denis but be easy i will take no vows i can do that at a later period if i wish instead of going like most women to seek forgetfulness i will go to seek memory it seems to me that i have too often forgotten my creator he is the only consolation as he is really the only afflictor in approaching him more nearly i shall do more for my happiness than if all the rich and great in this world had combined to make life pleasant to me still andrea i oppose this desperate resolution for you have not confided to me the cause of your despair despair said she with a disdainful air no thank god i am not despairing no a thousand times no this excess of disdain shows a state of mind which cannot last if you reject the word despair i must use that of pique pique do you believe that i am so weak as to yield up my place in the world through pique judge me by yourself philippe if you were to retire to la trappe what would you call the cause of your determination i should call it an incurable grief well philippe i adopt your words for they suit me then he replied brother and sister are alike in their lives happy together they have become unhappy at the same time then thinking further remonstrance useless he asked when do you want to go tomorrow even today if it were possible i shall be ready whenever you require me andrea retired to make her preparations soon she received this note from philippe you can see our father at five o'clock this evening you must be prepared for reproaches but an adieu is indispensable she answered at five o'clock i will be with monsieur de tavernay all ready to start and by seven we can be at st denis if you will give me up your evening end of chapter fifty four recording by john van stan savannah georgia Chapter Fifty Five of the Queen's Necklace by Alexander Dumas, translated by Henry L. Williams. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Minister of Finance. 
We have seen that the queen, before receiving Andrea, was smiling over a note from Madame de Lamotte. She was, however, rendered serious by the interview with Mademoiselle de Tavernay. Scarcely had she gone, when Madame de Misery came to announce Monsieur de Calon. He was a man of much intellect, but, foreseeing that disaster was hanging over France, determined to think only of the present and enjoy it to the utmost. He was a courtier and a popular man. Monsieur de Necay had shown the impossibility of finding finances and called for reforms which would have struck at the estates of the nobility and the revenues of the clergy. He exposed his designs too openly and was overwhelmed by a torrent of opposition. To show the enemy your plan of attack is half to give them the victory. Calon, equally alive to the danger, but seeing no way of escape, gave way to it. He completely carried with him the king and queen, who implicitly believed in his system. And this is, perhaps, the only political fault which Louis the Sixteenth was guilty of toward posterity. Monsieur de Calon was handsome and had an ingratiating manner. He knew how to please a queen and always arrived with a smile on his face when others might have worn a frown. The queen received him graciously and said, "'Have we any money, Monsieur de Calon?' "'Certainly, madame. We have always money.' "'You are perfectly marvellous,' replied she, "'an incomparable financier, for you seem always ready when we want money.' "'How much does your majesty require?' "'Explain to me first how you managed to find money when Monsieur Necay declared that there was none.' "'Monsieur Necay was right, madame.' for when i became minister on the third of november seventeen eighty three there were but one thousand and two hundred francs in the public treasury had monsieur necay madame instead of crying out there is no money done as i have done and borrowed one hundred million the first year and one hundred and twenty-five million the second and had he been as sure as i am of a new loan of eighty million for the third he would have been a true financier. Everyone can say there is no money, but not that there is plenty. That is what I compliment you on, sir. But how to pay all this? Oh, madame, be sure we shall pay it, replied he with a strange smile. Well, I trust to you, said the queen. "'I have now a project, madame,' replied he, bowing, "'which will put twenty million into the pockets of the nation, "'and seven million or eight million into your own.' "'They will be welcome, but where are they to come from?' "'Your Majesty is aware that money is not of the same value.' in all the countries of Europe? Certainly. In Spain, gold is dearer than in France. Your Majesty is perfectly right. Gold in Spain has been for the last five or six years worth considerably more than in France. It results that the exporters gain on eight ounces of gold that they send from here about the value of fourteen ounces of silver that is a great deal 
well madame i mean to raise the price of gold one-fifth of this difference and where we have now thirty louis we shall then have thirty-two it is a brilliant idea cried the queen i believe it and am happy that it meets your majesty's approbation always have such and i'm sure you will soon pay our debts but allow me madame to return to what you want of me said the minister would it be possible to have a present i am afraid it is too much Colon smiled in an encouraging manner five hundred thousand francs continued the queen oh madame really your majesty frightened me i was afraid it was something great then you can assuredly without the king's knowledge oh madame that is impossible every month all my accounts are laid before the king however he does not always read them when can i have it what day does your majesty wish for it on the fifth of next month your majesty shall have it on the third thanks monsieur de colon my greatest happiness is to please your majesty and i beg you never will allow yourself to be embarrassed for want of money he rose the queen gave him her hand to kiss and then said after all this money causes me some remorse for it is for a caprice never mind some one will gain by it that is true you have a charming mode of consoling one oh madame if we had none of us more reasons for remorse than you we should all go straight to heaven but it will be cruel to make the poor people pay for my caprices have no scruples madame it is not the poor who will pay how so asked the queen in some surprise because madame they have nothing to pay with he bowed and retired End of chapter 55, recording by John Van Stan, Savannah, Georgia. Chapter 56 of The Queen's Necklace by Alexander Dumas, translated by Henry L. Williams. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Cardinal de Rohan Hardly had Monsieur de Calon traversed the gallery when Madame de Lamotte was shown into the Queen madame said she the cardinal is here she then introduced him and took her leave the cardinal finding himself alone with the queen bowed respectfully without raising his eyes monsieur said the queen i have heard of you what has effaced many wrongs permit me madame said he trembling with real emotion to assure your majesty that these wrongs of which you speak i could explain in a few words i do not forbid you to justify yourself replied she with dignity but if what you are about to say throws the smallest shade upon my family or country you will only wound me still more let us leave this subject and 
i will only see you under the fresh light which shows you to me obliging respectful and devoted devoted until death replied he but said marie antoinette with a smile at present it is a question not of death but of ruin and i do not wish you devoted even so far you shall live and not be ruined at least not by me for they say you are ruining yourself madame oh that is your own business only as a friend i would counsel you to be economical the king would like you better i would become a miser to please your majesty oh the king replied she with an accent on the word does not love misers either i will become whatever your majesty desires replied he with a hardly disguised passion i said then continued she that you shall not be ruined for me you have advanced money on my account and i have the means of meeting the calls therefore regard the affair for the future as in my hands to finish it then it only remains for me to offer the necklace to your majesty and drawing out the case he presented it to her she took it but did not open it and laid it down by her side she received kindly all his polite speeches but as she was longing to be left alone with her diamonds she began to answer somewhat absently he thought she was embarrassed and was delighted thinking it showed at least an absence of indifference he then kissed her hand and took leave going away full of enthusiasm and hope jean was waiting for him in the carriage and received his ardent protestations with pleasure well said she shall you be richelieu or mazarin have her lips given you encouragement and ambition or love are you launched in politics or intrigue do not laugh dear countess i am full of happiness already assist me and in three weeks i may be a minister peste that is a long time the next payment is in a fortnight ah the queen has money and will pay and i shall have only the merit of the intention it is too little i would willingly have paid for this reconciliation with the whole sum make yourself easy replied the countess you shall have this merit if you deserve it i should have preferred it the queen would then have been under an obligation to me monseigneur something tells me you will have this satisfaction are you prepared for it i have mortgaged all my revenue for the ensuing year then you have the money certainly for this payment after that i do not know what i shall do oh this payment will give you three quiet months who knows what may happen in three months that is true but she said that the king wished me to incur no more debt two months in the ministry would set all straight countess oh do not be fastidious if you do not assist yourself 
others will you are right where are you going now back to the queen to hear what she says of your interview good i go to paris why you should go this evening to the jeu de roi it is good policy to keep your ground no countess i must attend a rendezvous for which i received a note this morning a rendezvous yes and a serious one by the contents of the note look a man's writing said the countess and opening the note she read monseigneur some one wishes to see you about raising an important sum of money this person will wait on you this evening at paris to solicit the honor of an interview anonymous hmm, some beggar no countess no beggar would expose himself to the risk of being beaten by my servants besides i fancy i have seen the writing before so au revoir countess apropos monseigneur if you are going to get a windfall some large sum i understand we are to share countess you have brought me luck i shall not be ungrateful and they separated the cardinal was full of happy dreams the queen had received him kindly he would place himself at the head of her party and make it a popular one he would protect her and for her sake would abandon his slothful life and live an active one as soon as he arrived at his hotel he commenced burning a box full of love-letters then he called his steward to order some economical reforms and sat down to his history of english politics soon he heard a ring and a servant entered to announce the person who had written to him that morning ask his name said the cardinal the man having inquired returned and said monsieur le comte de cagliostro let him come in the count entered mon dieu cried the cardinal is it possible joseph balsamo who was supposed to have perished in the flames yes monseigneur more alive than ever but sir you have taken a new name yes monseigneur the other recalled too many painful recollections possibly you yourself would not have opened your door to joseph balsamo i oh yes sir then monseigneur has a better memory and more honesty than most men monsieur you once rendered me a service am i not monseigneur a good specimen of the results of my elixir i confess it sir but you seem above humanity you who distribute health and gold to all health perhaps monseigneur but not gold you make no more gold no monseigneur why because i lost the parcel of an indispensable ingredient which altatus discovered but of which i never had the receipt he has carried that secret with him to the grave 
he is dead then how could you not preserve the life of this man so useful to you as you have kept yourself through so many centuries because i can guard against illness but not against such accidents as kill before i can act he died from an accident then the fire in which you thought i died killed him or rather he weary of life chose to die it is strange no it is natural i have a hundred times thought of ending my life but you have not done so because i enjoy a state of youth in which health and pleasure kept me from ennui but he had chosen one of old age he was a savant and cared only for science and thus youth with its thousand pleasures would have constantly drawn him from its study an old man meditates better than a young one altotus died a victim to his love of science i lead a worldly life and do nothing i live like a planet oh sir your words and appearance bring to me dreams of my youth it is ten years since i saw you yes but if you are no longer a fine young man you are a prince do you remember the day when in my cabinet i promised you the love of the woman whose fair locks i consulted the cardinal turned from pale to red terror and joy almost stopped the beating of his heart i remember said he ah let me try if i can still play the magician this fair child of your dreams what is she doing now ah i suspect you yourself have seen her to-day indeed you have not long left her the cardinal could hardly stand oh i beg sir he cried let us speak of something else said cogliostro sitting down end of chapter fifty six recording by john van stan savannah georgia chapter fifty seven of the queen's necklace by alexander dumas translated by henry l williams this librivox recording is in the public domain debtor and creditor now that we have renewed our acquaintance let us converse said cogliostro yes replied the cardinal about the money you wrote of it was a pretext was it not no monsieur a serious matter as it concerns a sum of five hundred thousand francs the sum which you lent me cried the cardinal growing pale yes monseigneur i love to see so good a memory in a great prince like you the cardinal felt overwhelmed by the blow at last trying to smile he said 
i thought that joseph balsamo had carried his debt with him to the tomb as he threw the receipt into the fire monseigneur replied the count the life of joseph balsamo is as indestructible as the sheet on which you wrote death cannot conquer the elixir of life fire is powerless against asbestos i do not understand said the cardinal you soon will replied cogliostro producing a folded paper which he offered to the prince he before opening it cried my receipt yes monseigneur your receipt but i saw you burn it true i threw it on the fire but by accident you had written on a piece of asbestos so that the receipt remained uninjured among the cinders monsieur said the cardinal haughtily for he thought this a proof that he had been suspected believe me i should not have denied my debt even without this paper therefore you were wrong to deceive me i deceived you yes you made me think the paper was destroyed to leave you the calm enjoyment of five hundred thousand francs but sir why have you left such a sum for ten years unclaimed i knew monseigneur that it was safe various events have deprived me of my wealth but knowing that i had this sum in reserve i have waited patiently until the last moment and has that arrived alas yes monseigneur so that you can really wait no longer no monseigneur you want it at once if it please you to pay it the cardinal was at first silent through despair then he said in a hoarse voice monsieur le comte we unhappy princes of the earth do not improvise fortunes as quickly as you enchanters oh monseigneur said cogliostro i would not have asked you for this sum had i not known beforehand that you had it i have five hundred thousand francs thirty thousand in gold eleven thousand in silver and the rest in notes which are in this buhl cabinet the cardinal turned white you knew this yes monseigneur and i know you have made great sacrifices to obtain it i have heard that you will pay heavily for it oh it is too true but monseigneur during these ten years i have often been in want and embarrassment yet i have kept this paper back so as not to trouble you therefore i do not think you can complain complain 
oh no sir when you graciously lent me such a sum i must ever remain your debtor but during those ten years there were twenty occasions when i could have repaid you with ease while to-day the restitution you demand embarrasses me dreadfully you who know everything who read even hearts and penetrate the doors of cabinets doubtless know also the purpose for which this money was destined you are wrong monseigneur said cogliostro coldly my knowledge has brought me so much misery and disappointment that i no longer seek to penetrate the secrets of others it concerned me to know whether you had this money as i wished to claim it but once having ascertained that i did not trouble myself to think for what purpose it was destined besides did i know it it might seem so grave a matter as almost to force me to waive my claim which really at present i cannot afford to do therefore i prefer to be ignorant oh monsieur cried the cardinal do not think i wish to parade my embarrassments in order to elude my debt you have your own interests to look to they are guaranteed by this paper which bears my signature that is enough you shall have your money although i do not think there was any promise to pay your eminence is mistaken in opening the paper he read these words i acknowledge the receipt of five hundred thousand francs from monsieur joseph balsamo which i will repay on demand louis de rohan you see monseigneur that i only ask my right besides as this was a spontaneous loan by me to a man i hardly knew the payment might have been equally spontaneous without waiting for me to claim it but you did not think so well monseigneur i withdraw this paper and bid you adieu no count replied the cardinal a rohan must not receive lessons in generosity besides this is a mere question of honesty give me the paper sir and i will discharge my debt for a moment cogliostro hesitated for the pale face and distressed air of the cardinal inclined him to pity but quickly hardening himself he handed him the paper Monsieur de rohan went to the cabinet and took out the money there said he are your five hundred thousand franc and i owe you two hundred and fifty thousand more for interest which you shall have if you will give me time monseigneur said cogliostro i lent five hundred thousand franc to Monsieur de rohan which he has paid me he therefore owes me nothing more i will take the notes with me and send for the money i thank you for your compliance with my request then bowing he left the room well 
sighed Monsieur de Rohan. "'It is likely, at least, that the Queen has the money. "'And no Joseph Balsamo will come and take it from her.'" End of chapter 57 Recording by John Van Stan, Savannah, Georgia Chapter 58 of The Queen's Necklace by Alexander Dumas Translated by Henry L. Williams This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Family Accounts It was the day before the first payment was due, and Monsieur de Calon had so much to do that he had forgotten his promise. The Queen had up to this time waited patiently, relying on his word. She now, however, was beginning to grow uneasy when she received the following note. This evening the business with which your majesty has charged me will be settled by the council. The money will be with the queen to-morrow evening. Marie Antoinette recovered all her gaiety directly. After dinner the king went to the council, but in a rather bad humor. The news from Russia was bad. A vessel had been lost. Some of the provinces refused to pay the taxes. Also a beautiful map of the world, made by himself— had that day split into two pieces. Vainly, therefore, Monsieur de Calon produced his accounts and his usual smiling air. The king continued out of temper. For a long time he sat as usual, drawing hieroglyphs on a piece of paper whilst the foreign correspondence was being read and paying little attention to what passed around him. At last, however, Monsieur de Calon began to speak of the loan to be raised for the ensuing year. The king became attentive, and said, "'Always borrowing. But how is it to be repaid? That is a problem, Monsieur de Cologne, for you to solve.' "'Sire, a loan is only turning a stream from one direction to cause it to flow more abundantly in another. In deepening the channel you only increase the supply.' therefore let us not think of paying but only of obtaining present supplies monsieur de calon then explained his plans which were approved by his colleagues the king agreed with a sigh now we have money said monsieur de calon let us dispose of it and he handed a paper to the king with a list of pensions gifts and payments to be made the king glanced at the total. One million nine hundred thousand francs for this? Enormous! But, sire, one item is five hundred thousand francs. Which? The advance to the queen. To the queen? Five hundred thousand francs to the queen? Impossible! Pardon, sire, it is correct. But there must be a mistake. A fortnight ago Her Majesty received her money. Sire, but if Her Majesty has need of money, and we all know how well she employs it. No, cried the king. The queen does not want this money. She said to me that she preferred a vessel to jewels. The queen thinks but of France, and when France is poor, we that are rich ought to lend to France. And if she does require this money, it will be a great merit to wait for it. And I guarantee 
that she will wait. The ministers applauded this patriotic speech of the king. Only Monsieur de Calonne insisted. Really, monsieur, said the king, you are more interested for us than we are for ourselves. The queen, sire, will accuse us of having been backward when her interests were concerned. I will plead your cause. But, sire, the queen never asks without necessity. If the queen has once, they are, I trust, less imperious than those of the poor, and she will be the first to acknowledge it. Sire, I am resolved said the king, and I fancy I hear the queen in her generosity thanking me for having so well understood her heart. Monsieur de Calonne bit his lip, and Louis, content with this personal sacrifice, signed all the rest without looking at them. Cologne, you shall tell the queen yourself. Oh, sire, I beg to resign to you the honor. So be it, then. Ha! Here she comes. Let us meet her. I beg your majesty to excuse me, he replied and retired quickly. The king approached the queen. She was leaning on the arm of the Comte d'Artois and seemed very gay. Madame, said the king, have you had a pleasant walk? Yes, sire. And you, an agreeable counsel? Yes, madame. I have gained you five hundred thousand francs. Monsieur de Cologne has kept his word, thought the queen. Only imagine, madame, continued the king, Monsieur de Cologne had put down five hundred thousand francs for you, and I have struck it out, a clear gain, therefore, of that sum. Struck it through? cried the queen, turning pale. But, sire... Oh, I am so hungry I am going to supper. And he went away, delighted with his work. Brother, said the queen, seek Monsieur de Calonne for me. At that moment a note from him was handed to her. Your majesty will have learned that the king refused your grant. It was incomprehensible, and I retired from the council penetrated with grief. Read, said she, passing the note to the Count. And there are people, said he, who say that we squander the revenue. This is an extraordinary proceeding. Quite husband-like, said the Queen. Adieu, brother. I condole with you, he replied. And it is a lesson for me. I was going to make a request tomorrow for myself. "'Send for Madame de Lamotte,' said the Queen, when she returned to her room. End of chapter 58 Recording by John Van Stan, Savannah, Georgia Chapter 59 of The Queen's Necklace by Alexandre Dumas Translated by Henry L. Williams This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Marie Antoinette as Queen and Madame de Lamotte as woman. The courier dispatched for Madame de Lamotte, not finding her at home, went to the hotel of the Cardinal de Rohan to inquire if she were there. 
the well-tutored swiss replied that she was not but that he could get any message transmitted to her the courier therefore left word for her to come to the queen as soon as possible the man had hardly left the door before the message was delivered to jeanne as she sat at supper with the cardinal she set off immediately and was at once introduced into the queen's chamber oh cried the queen on seeing her i have something to tell you the king has refused me five hundred thousand francs mon dieu murmured the countess incredible is it not he struck through the item but it is useless to talk of it you must return to paris and tell the cardinal that since he is so kind i accept the five hundred thousand francs he offered me it is selfish i know but what can i do oh madame cried jeanne we are lost the cardinal no longer has the money the queen started no money stammered she no madame an unexpected creditor claimed this money from him it was a debt of honor and he paid it the whole five hundred thousand franc yes madame and he has no more no madame he told me this an hour and a half ago and confessed to me that he had no other resources the queen leaned her head on her hands then after a few moments reflection she said this countess is a terrible lesson for me and a punishment for having done anything great or small without the king's knowledge it was a folly i had no need of this necklace true madame but if the queen consulted only her absolute wants i must consult before everything the tranquillity and happiness of my household i renounce for ever what has begun with so much annoyance i will sacrifice my vanity on the altar of duty as monsieur de provence would say and beautiful as this necklace is you shall carry it back to messieurs Burma and bossange carry it back yes but madame your majesty has already given one hundred thousand francs for it well i shall gain all the rest that was to have been paid for it but madame they will not like to return your money i give it up on condition of their breaking the contract now countess that i have come to this determination i feel at ease once more this necklace brought with it cares and fears diamonds cannot compensate for these take it away countess the jewellers must be satisfied they will have their necklace and one hundred thousand francs into the bargain but monsieur de rohan he only acted to give me pleasure and when he is told it is my pleasure not to have the necklace he will understand me i am sure and if he is a good friend he will approve and strengthen me in my sacrifice saying these words the queen held out the casket to jeanne she did not take it why not ask for time madame no countess it is humiliation 
one may humiliate oneself for a person one loves to save a living creature were it only a dog but only to keep some sparkling stones never countess take it away but madame it will surely become known that your majesty has had the jewels and was obliged to return them no one will know anything about it the jewellers will surely hold their tongues for a hundred thousand francs take it away countess and thank monsieur de rohan for his good will towards me there is no time to lose go as soon as possible and bring me back a receipt for them madame it shall be done as you wish she first drove home and changed her dress which was too elegant for a visit to the jewellers meanwhile she reflected much she thought still it was a fault for monsieur de rohan to allow the queen to part with these jewels and should she obey her orders without consulting him would he not have reason to complain would he not rather sell himself than let the queen return them i must consult him she thought but after all he never can get the money she then took the necklace from the case once more to look at and admire it one million six hundred thousand francs in my possession true it is but for an hour to carry away such a sum in gold i should want two horses yet how easily i hold it here but i must decide shall i go to the cardinal or take it direct to the jewellers as the queen ordered and the receipt in what form shall i get it so as not to compromise the queen the cardinal or myself shall i consult oh, if he loved me more and could give me the diamonds she sat down again and remained nearly an hour in deep thought then she rose with a strange look in her eyes and rang the bell with a determined air she ordered a coach and in a few minutes she reached the house of the journalist monsieur Rateau de villette end of chapter fifty nine recording by john van stan savannah georgia chapter sixty of the queen's necklace by alexander dumas translated by henry l williams this librivox recording is in the public domain the receipt of messieurs Burma and bossange and the gratitude of the queen the result of madame de lamotte's visit to monsieur Rateau de villette appeared the next day at seven o'clock in the morning she sent to the queen the following paper we the undersigned acknowledge having received back again the diamond necklace sold to the queen for one million six hundred thousand francs the diamonds not suiting her majesty who has paid us for our loss and trouble one hundred thousand francs burma and bassange the queen now tranquil about the whole affair locked up the receipt and thought no more of it but in strange contradiction to this receipt the jewellers received a visit two days after from monsieur de rohan who felt uneasy about the payment if the instalment had not been paid he expected to find them naturally annoyed but to his great satisfaction they received him with smiles 
the queen has paid then he asked no monseigneur the queen could not procure the money as the king had refused it to her but she has guaranteed the debt and that fully satisfies us ha huh. so much the better but how through the countess no monseigneur on hearing of the king's refusal which soon became public we wrote to madame de lamotte when yesterday and she replied by one word wait that evening we received from the queen by a courier a letter a letter to you or rather a guarantee in due form let me see it oh we would with pleasure but her majesty enjoins that it is not to be shown to any one then you are safe perfectly monseigneur the queen acknowledges the debt fully and engages to pay five hundred thousand francs in three months the rest in six and she adds let the affair rest between ourselves you will have no cause to repent it i am charmed that it is settled said the cardinal we must now raise the veil though doubtless our readers comprehend how jeanne de lamotte had acted toward her benefactress and how she had managed to satisfy both the queen and the jewellers by borrowing the pen of monsieur Rateau. Three months were thus obtained for the completion of her design of crime and deception, and within three months everything would be arranged. She went to Monsieur de Rohan and repeated to him what the jewellers had already told him. He asked if the queen remembered his good intentions. She drew a picture of her gratitude which enchanted him. Her intention had been to sell some of the diamonds to the value of one hundred thousand crowns, and then pass over to England where, when necessary, she could dispose of the remainder. But her first essay frightened her. Some offered despicably small sums for the stones, others went into raptures, declaring they had never seen such diamonds but in the necklace of Messieurs Burma and Bossange. She abandoned this course, therefore, which she saw might soon bring about her ruin. She shut up the diamonds carefully and resolved to wait. But her position was critical. A few words of explanation between the queen and the cardinal, and all would be discovered. She consoled herself by thinking that the cardinal was too much in love not to fall into all the snares she might lay for him. One thought alone occupied her. How to prevent their meeting? That he would not be long satisfied without an interview she knew. What should she do? Persuade him to ask for one and offend the queen by his presumption? but then the queen would speak her anger out and all would come to light she must compromise her and endeavor so to close her lips but if they met by chance what remained for her but flight that was easy a few hours would suffice then again she thought of the name she would leave behind her and bear with her no longer a woman of rank but a thief whom justice only does not reach because she is too far off. No, she would not fly if she could help it. 
she would try what audacity and skill could do, remain here and act between them. To prevent them from meeting, that is the difficulty, as he is in love and a prince, who has a right to see the queen, and she is now grateful and will no longer fly from him. But if I excite him to too open an admiration and disgust her, I alienate them more than ever. She will take fire easily, but what I want is something to make the queen tremble as well as him, something which would give me power to say, if you accuse me, I will accuse you and ruin you. Leave me my wealth, and I will you your honor. This is what I must seek for, and what I must find. End of chapter 60 Recording by John Van Stan, Savannah, Georgia Chapter 61 of The Queen's Necklace by Alexander Dumas Translated by Henry L. Williams This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Prisoner Meanwhile, a different scene was passing in the Rue Saint-Cloud where Monsieur de Cogliostro had lodged Oliva in the old house to keep her from the pursuit of the police. There she lived, retired and almost happy. Cogliostro lavished care and attentions on her, and she liked being protected by this great lord who asked nothing from her in return. Only, what did he want? She often asked herself uselessly, for he must have some object— her amour propre made her decide that, after all, he was in love with her, and she began to build castles in the air in which we must confess poor Beausire now very rarely had a place. Therefore the two visits a week paid to her by Cogliostro were always eagerly looked forward to, and between them she amused herself with her dreams and playing the great lady. However, her books were soon read through, at least such as suited her tastes, and pictures and music soon wearied her. She soon began to regret her mornings passed at the windows of the Rue Dauphine, where she used to sit to attract the attention of the passer-by, and her delightful promenades in the Quartier Saint-Germain, where so many people used to turn to look after her. True, the police agents were formidable people, but what availed safety if she was not amused? So she first regretted her liberty, and then regretted Beausire. Then she began to lose her appetite for want of fresh air, for she had been used to walk every day. One day, when she was bemoaning her fate, she received an unexpected visit from Cogliostro. He gave his accustomed signal, and she opened the door, which was always kept bolted, with an eagerness which showed her delight, and seizing his hands, she cried in an impatient voice, "'Monsieur, I am on your way here.' "'This is unlucky, my dear child.' "'I shall die here.' "'Really?' "'Yes.' "'Well,' said he soothingly, "'do not blame me. Blame the lieutenant of police who persecutes you.' You exasperate me with your sang-froid, monsieur. I would rather you flew in a passion. Confess, mademoiselle, that you are unreasonable, said he, seating himself. 
it is all very well for you to talk replied she you come and go as you like you breathe the fresh air your life is full of pleasure i vegetate in the space to which you have limited me and your assistance is useless to me if i am to die here die said the count smiling you behave very badly to me you forget that i love passionately monsieur beausire yes beausire i love him i always told you so did you think i had forgotten him so little did i think so mademoiselle that i bring you news of him ha huh. he is a charming person young and handsome is he not fool of imagination and fire rather rough toward me but that is his way of showing his love therefore i wish to take you back to him you did not wish that a month ago no but when i see how you love him ha you are laughing at me oh no you have resisted all my advances so well yes have i not it was your love for him but yours then was not very tenacious no i am neither old enough nor ugly enough neither poor enough nor foolish enough to run the risk of a refusal and i saw that you would always have preferred beausire oh but cried the coquette using her eyes which had remained idle so long this famous compact which you proposed to me the right of always giving me your arm of visiting me when you liked did that give you no hope cogliostro did not reply but turned his eyes as if dazzled by her glances let us return to beausire she said piqued at his indifference why have you not brought him here it would have been a charity he is free because replied cogliostro beausire has too much imagination and has also embroiled himself with the police what has he done oh a delightful trick a most ingenious idea i call it a joke but matter-of-fact people and you know how matter-of-fact monsieur de crosny can be call it a theft a theft cried oliva frightened is he arrested no but he is pursued and is he in danger that i cannot tell you he is well hunted for and if you were together the chances of his being taken would be doubled oh yes he must hide poor fellow i will hide too let me leave france monsieur pray render me this service for if i remain shut up here i shall end by committing some imprudence what do you call imprudence oh just getting some fresh air i do not want to prevent your getting fresh air you would lose your beauty and monsieur beausire would love you no longer 
open the windows as much as you like. Oh, I see I have offended you. You care no more about me. Offended me? How? Because you had taken a fancy to me, and I repulsed you. A man of your consequence, a handsome man like you, has a right to be angry at being rejected by a poor girl like me. But do not abandon me, sir. I entreat. And she put her arms round his neck. Poor little thing, said he, kissing her forehead. Do not be afraid. I am not angry or offended. Indeed, were you to offer me your love, I should refuse you. So much do I desire to inspire pure sentiments. Besides, I should think you influenced more by gratitude than love. So, we will remain as we are, and I will continue to protect you. Oliva let his hand fall, humiliated and duped by the pretended generosity of Cogliostro. Oh, I shall say henceforth, she cried, that there are men superior to what I ever thought. All women are good, thought Cogliostro. If you only touch the right chord. From this evening, he said aloud, you shall move to other rooms, where the windows look on Menilmontan and the Bellevue. You need not fear to show yourself to the neighbors. They are all honest, simple people who will never suspect you. Only keep a little back from the window, lest anyone passing through the street should see you. At least you will have air and sunshine. Oliva looked pleased. Shall I conduct you there now? Oh, yes. He took a light, and she followed him up a staircase to the third story, and entered a room completely furnished and ready for occupation. "'One would think it was prepared for me,' she said. "'Not for you, but for myself. I like this place, and often come here to sleep. Nothing shall be wanting to make you comfortable, and your femme de chambre shall attend you in a quarter of an hour.' And he left the room— the poor prisoner sat down by her elegant bed, murmuring, "'I understand nothing of all this.'" End of chapter 61 Recording by John Van Stan, Savannah, Georgia